Love Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country. With a pedal to the metal. With this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you with us. We, uh, we as always, have awesome food today. I think probably the best. Who brought the chocolate chip cookies? Anybody know? Did you make those? You know, crack has nothing on you. You could literally go to the street corner and just sell that. Oh, it's unreal. It's it's probably the best I've ever had. Um, and then fried chicken. We've got some shredded meats. Some sort of ham. I don't know. Who brought the ham? That's crazy good ham. It's like honey-style ham or some kind of thing. And lots of lots of good water to drink. Homemade applesauce. Can't beat that. So if you were here, your belly would be full. And uh, you you'd would have enjoyed a really nice fellowship. This is a really different thing here. The Kehala that we have. Um, the the Kehala, when I say Kehala, that is our church. That is uh, the Hebrew... Um, representation of followers of the way tongues yeah i'm talking in tongues again people say i did get more comments on that last week so i said did you not and so i emailed them back i said did you not hear that i said that no i'm not actually speaking in tongues i'm speaking hebrew which they responded well might as well be tongues some people you can't help so uh anyhow uh so it's a good bunch of people it's very very comfortable here um, it, it's just a lot of fun. The folks that own this home, I won't say their name out over the air, but we really are blessed by them. We're blessed to have someone here with us that's near and dear to us all the way from Colorado. When's, when's the, well, we had somebody here from Japan once. So, you know, and where was the other, uh, Stabley's friend from Nigeria? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he wins, he wins for sure. But, uh, but you're, you're right up there. We have no pro How about a, a cookie. Would you like a cookie? They're like crack. So uh, we're glad to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'll tell you what, um, it's just a different sort of thing. This is a different way of being a follower of the way. And that's the the uh, the early Christians after the crucifixion, they were not referred to as Christians. That was pejorative. Um, they were referred to as followers of the way. And so uh, if you were called a Christian, you were called that by a Roman, and you were called that kind of poking fun at you. So, But we, we really have a good time here. It's very, very comfortable. The chairs, I don't think you get more comfortable than this. I don't know that there is a church out there that is made up of recliners and big love seats and couches. And 
But this place, and then if you eat your food, somebody said to me one time, they said, how do you eat your food? You guys just like put it in your lap? No, we have tables and chairs and it's awesome. We're big time. We're big time up in here. So we move forks and knives, except for chicken. I don't always use a fork and knife for chicken, but so we we have a great time. And then when it gets nice and uh, warm outside, we throw the windows open. A lot of times we'll hear the birds as as I'm speaking, and it's just awesome. It's a good good bunch of people, and it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun here. It's a, it's a different uh, different setting. So we want to also give a shout out to our our brother Wes, who is out in Utah snowboarding. We that he comes back without any casts or anything like that. So we're uh, we're excited for him. He does it every year, and uh, I'm, I know he has fun. At least this time he didn't ride his motorcycle out there to, to snowboard. So we just pray for safety. So, okay, I probably might should have said, that's what we say down in southern Delaware, might should. I might should have told you last week, remember last week what I spoke about was reminding you why you should be happy, John 3.16, right? Why you should be happy. But this particular time, uh, I I didn't want to kind of spoil the surprise, but that was actually two sermons. Why you should be happy, John 3.16 being being true. But what if John 3.16 wasn't true? Now let's just have a refresher. In the complete Jewish Bible, John 3.16 goes this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only and unique Son, so that everyone who trusts in him may have eternal life instead of being utterly destroyed. Look, this brief John 3.16, man, you know, remember last week I talked about the signs that you see in the end zones? If you ever watch football on television, the signs, it's just a sign that says John 3.16. It's black letters on a little white placard, well, a big white placard they hold up whenever they know the camera's going to be focusing, when somebody's going to kick a field goal or they're going for a touchdown, boom, they put this sign up. And I always had to laugh at that. I always had to say, what are they doing? You know, are they, do they feel like ultra Christians when they do that? But you know what? There's a, there, it's, it, during NFL games, it's one of the most searched terms in Google. John 3.16, amen. So we're spreading the gospel by a simple thing of putting the verse up there. So if, even if somebody says, what, what is John 3.16? What is that? They don't know anything about church. They've never been in church. Never, never had that happen where they, you know, somebody quotes John three sixteen to them, or not that they know. So what do they do? They go on John three sixteen and find out what this is. Can you imagine how this pops up on a Google search? Really powerful. So I used to really kind of crane my neck at that. Now I don't do it anymore because it's proving to be quite a powerful uh, witness tool. Anyway, this brief and pivotal verse is likely the most famous and most quoted verses of the entire New Testament. It epitomizes the truth of God that has come to Jews and Gentiles alike in Yeshua the Messiah. But what if it wasn't true? What if instead John 3.16 read like this? This is, instead of John 3.16, what if it was Sean 3.16? Because God didn't love the world. He refused to give his only and unique son for you bunch of losers with your incessant hurts, habits, and hang-ups, the only means of reversing the curse you brought upon yourselves was withheld from you because you don't deserve salvation. The created, the every single human being God created, had no one to trust in to save them. And so everyone was born, everyone was born and destined for utter destruction. 
Man, nobody likes that version, right? Doesn't make us feel good. Doesn't make us feel good. Sometimes I get accused of not putting enough happy with the sad, but but if I were you know, if I were to read that, I wouldn't want any part of this faith, right? That's reasonable because God didn't love the world. He refused. He had a son. But because he didn't love the world, he refused to give a son. He said, you know what? They're not worth it. You guys are losers. You're, you keep doing the wrong thing. You keep going down the wrong path. You keep choosing the crooked path and not the straight path. You keep refusing to heed my advice, my loving and caring and discipling advice of a parent, a loving parent. And I give you discipline as you go. And you know what? You still refuse. You say, man, bottom isn't far enough down. So I've got to withdraw. I've got to withhold. I've, I can't give you salvation because you just keep doing what you do. The created, the every single human being God created, everybody had nobody to trust in. So everybody was destined for utter destruction. Man, because we deserved it. You see, this is a very different perspective, quite frankly. I want to point out that often our unwillingness or inability to find encouragement, joy, and peace in this most significant of verses has at its source unbelief, which is based on our evaluation of what we would do if we were God. I say it all the time, don't I? We recreate God in our own image, and we are again here recreating God in our own image. We're saying, look, man, this is how I would do it if I were God. I would be this way. And so we look with that same lens, that skewed, messed up, jacked up lens at this verse, and we say, well, this is how I would do it. I would be loving. I would be kind. I would be all-inclusive. Everything would be fine because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But in the analysis of his plan, we come to the conclusion that that we could do better. You know, we could do better than God. Of course, right? We could do better than God, God. You've got that Old Testament thing to deal with. A lot of bad stuff happens in there. We try to ignore the New Testament, or try to ignore the Old Testament, but as I say all the time, that, that crimson thread of divinity is woven through the Old Testament, and it draws us like a beautiful rope pulling us and drawing us into the redemption of the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah. A genuine and loving God, though, if we were to recreate God in our own image, if we were to do it our way, a genuine and loving God would behave more in line with what I would do, my idea of what good is. But here's the problem. Here's the bottom line. I so loved the world. By the way, welcome to all you folks in in chat. Love having you here. If I so loved the world, it wouldn't look like this. Therefore, there is no God, or at least not this one, the one that punishes and rebukes me for my failures. My God is a loving God, you say. But give a listen to this. My argument, see if you can guess who this is. My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a crooked line does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Here's another one as a hint for you. 
When you argue against him, you are arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. It is like cutting off the branch you are sitting on. You get that image, right? I'm sitting on a branch and I'm cutting it and cutting it and cutting it. C.S. Lewis. Mere Christianity. Look, folks, I think uh, in discussing different theological things and with people that support the show and encourage us to do what we do, I have said many times, I think mere Christianity ought to be mandatory reading in every school, secular and Christian and otherwise. Not just private, but I think it should be everybody should have to read mere Christianity. I think it's one of the most powerful testaments. But if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of the way, I think it should be such required reading that maybe every year that's a book you just reread. You just reread. You read it over. You make notes. You journal. And you see how God transforms your belief through that and read it parallel parallel with the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. And man, you can't help but to be moved and changed. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Look, this is what this simple verse teaches us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only and unique son. Wow. We gloss over that, right? We read that so fast, right? We just go through, for God so loved the world that he gives only a unique son so everyone who trusts him may have eternal life instead of being utterly destroyed. Right? It's almost like a competition. We read it fast. How, where do we get that? We get that when we're kids, you know, and we're we're young. We're trying to memorize scripture. And, it, it, you know, it's just like the ABCs. A, B, C, D, F, G, H, J, K, L, M, N, P, Q, R, S, T, U, G, W, X, Y, D. Now I said my ABCs, Right? We do that part really slow because we really want to get through those ABCs we're memorizing. So we memorize this and we, we recite it super fast, and then we miss the awesome, awesome things. Let's go back here, and I'll just I'll break some things down for you just for fun, at no cost or obligation to you. This simple, simple verse, folks, remember, this is simple. This is plain. This is something we cannot, we can't make it more complex than it is, nor should we quite frankly. Sometimes the truth is that simple. Sometimes the key to our salvation or our freedom, truth will set you free. That's the salvation message. But it's also, there's more in here than that. We can't just go, oh, well, it just means this, and go, and that's that. It means a lot more than that. It means this. This is what it teaches. God loves his creation. What's his creation? The world, the whole world. The whole world. Everything in it. He loves the world that he created. He laid his he not even laid his hand. He he formed all these things. He spoke things into existence. This was his project. And he loved it. And he loves us still, thank God. We also learn to love is to give. To love much is to give much. Man, have you ever loved something or someone and uh, it was just a struggle. You just you were always fighting to give enough. You were always fighting to love enough. You were always fighting to find that loving place, that way to love fully and openly and without constraint. Nancy Reagan, God rest her soul. She loved Ronald Reagan unconditionally. And now they are dancing in heaven, ballroom dancing in heaven. They both were avid ballroom dancers, and most people don't know that. Uh, wonderful, wonderful couple. And you could see that they were completely and totally dedicated to one another. Unconditional love. I am Ronnie's, and, you know, he is mine. 
See, that's a powerful thing. That's a powerful thing. To love is to give. To love much is to give much. And God loves the world so much that he gave us what is most precious to him. Hey, you know, those of you who have children or people that you love, can you imagine? Let me think. Let me think of who do I love the most? What do I love the most? Right? You look at what you love the most, who you love the most, and you say, I'm going to demonstrate to the world how much I love them. Or let's say it's an inverse thing. I'm going to demonstrate to God how much I love him. So I'm going to find the thing of the person that I love more than anything else in the world. And I'm going to kill it. I'm going to send it to its absolute death. Folks, I don't think sometimes we take enough time to let this percolate in our soul. I don't think sometimes, I don't think that we really take in. This wasn't a casual sort of, well, let me quick make a son, pop him down to earth, and there you have it, and I'll give him. I can make more. You know, I can make more. It's That's tantamount to giving, loving your child. Let's say your oldest child. Loving your oldest child so much, so much. Oh, when that oldest child is around you, you're so full of joy and fulfillment and completion. You love everything they do. You love everything they say. It makes you laugh. You know, you just—it's just the coolest thing ever. But then, but then, what happens? You say, "I, I love this person so much. I'm going to give this person." to God. I'm going to sacrifice this person to God. We always think of Abraham, right? We we think of we think of the sacrifice. Saved at the last moment by a ram in the bush. Man, that's love. That's real love. But if you say if you stop in the last second, whoa, 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 slow down, slam dancer, you're gonna kill your kid? That you love so much, you obviously love so much because you love the world, you love God, you're going to do this as a gift to God. Yeah, no problem, I'm just going to have another one. Maybe they'll be like this one that I love so much. How many of you have more than one, and out in our radio audience, how many of you have more than one child? Are some easier than others? Right, I'm the youngest of five. Youngest of five, we have youngest of nine and middle of nine back there. You know... Families are interesting dynamics. I mean, kids, you could have one child, you try to raise that child the same as you did your others, and they turn out, you know, the one kid is easy breezy. The next one is is pulling your hair out. You're like, what in the world are you? What planet did you come from? Right? So that simple thing of, I don't know, I could just about another one. It's easy. You know, God doesn't work that way. That's not how he does. He invests heavily. He invests heavily into things like this. Things like this matter to him. He loved the world so much that he gave his most precious. What is most precious to him, he gave to us. Man. We also know that Yeshua was fully aware. That's Jesus. Yeshua was fully aware in advance that he would die as God's own sacrifice. Folks, don't let that Sit uncherished. 
Don't let that thought, that realization, that truth sit uncherished. Don't let me say that, fall in your ear, and not hit your heart. Yeshua knew. He knew that he was going to be part of the plan and that it would require a sacrifice. People say, how can you know that? I know that because he was an excellent student of the of the traditions, the oral traditions, the written traditions, all of these things. He was an excellent student of that. He was the ultimate rabbi. He knew what prophecy said. He knew how it would work, and he knew he was it. There's a lot of movies that come out a lot of times around Easter. The, the the you know themes of resurrection and things like that and some I'm some I'm not I, you know I just look at it and I have to laugh I mean first of all you know the real Jesus was darker than he was light let's be honest he didn't just have a light spray tan I mean he was full on darker he came from a an area of, the, of that part of the world that was much darker in skin and his culture individually uh, was typically darker. But more than that, I don't think he had a blow dryer. I just don't think he had that in wind machines. I don't think he had that. Now, he could walk around and God could just dust up the wind, keep his hair flowing. But come on, you know, it's, sometimes it's just so unrealistic. Be a little greasy. Be a little greasy. But as as he travels through and he's doing all the things that he's doing, he knew I don't know that he knew the specifics of, I'm going to live 33 years. He knew that his job was to worship and serve who? His father. My job is to be my father here on earth, is to represent him well and to do his will. Father, not my will, but thine. If I must, then I will. If it's your will, I'll do it. He knew it would hurt. You know, people say, well, you know, God probably took away the pain. No. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned from me? Why haven't you shown me your love and your care and your providence and your protection? How can you let this happen? Why have you forsaken me? I want to go back to that kid you really love so much. Can you imagine? You're saying, look, I'm going to kill you. For people, I'm going to kill you to save them. This is the sacrifice. This is how it works. I'm sorry. The kid would go, why? You and I are like this. We're so close. How could you turn your back on me? How could you do this to me? Can you imagine? It's not a simple solution. Yeshua knew that he was, in fact, God's only unique begotten son. There weren't more coming after him. He wasn't one of many. He was the one. So quickly we gloss over this. We think we think with such a broad stroke when we recreate God in our own image. We create God to be this sort of Christmassy, Santa Clausy sort of figure that has always something in his back pocket. I don't think, frankly, God has pockets, but I love pockets. So if I were God, I'd have a thousand pockets in everything I wore. And I'd never forget where my keys were. Because I do that all the time. I can't. Where are my keys? Oh, in my pocket. Anyway, pray for me. Uh, so here's the thing. Here, here's the really amazing thing about Yeshua and his relationship to God. This is my only begotten, my unique, my special, my amazing, only one son. The other side of that is Yeshua knew. Jesus knew. 
he was that son. He knew how precious he was to God. One other thing we learn from this verse is the destiny of man when he relies on himself and does not trust in Yeshua is total destruction. In Greek, it's apolumai, apolumai. That means be ruined, be destroyed, to be lost, utterly and totally destroyed and lost, apolumai. doesn't mean cessation of conscious existence, but the eternal suffering that is the inevitable consequence of sin. Apolumai, the destiny of man when he relies upon himself, eternal suffering that is inevitable, the inevitable consequence of sin. And this is the other thing we learned. The destiny of an individual who trusts in Yeshua is everlasting life. On the flip side, we know if you don't, if you don't place your faith in Christ, in that moment of your death, in that moment, that split second, that separates you from living here on earth and dead, either to be raised to eternal life with the Heavenly Father or dead in your sin. Permanent resident of hell is such a thin veil. I know that thin veil. I remember in my car crash, I remember being trapped in my car. I didn't have a concept that I was trapped in the car, but I knew something really bad has just happened. I knew from several reasons. Once I came to, which apparently I was out, didn't know it. Uh, you know, when you're passed out or you're knocked unconscious, guess what? There's not a little sign that says, hey, let me just bring you up to speed. It's cue card. You were unconscious for approximately this period of time. I didn't know that. I didn't know how things worked. So uh, I, I come to, and I know immediately, man, this is bad. This is really, really bad. And I've told the radio audience and the live audience, I prayed three prayers. I prayed a prayer of contrition. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am a jacked-up dude with hurts, habits, and hang-ups a mile long. And I know I failed God. And so I wanted to get... We call it getting right down Southern Dell. We call it getting right, getting right with God. I'm getting right with God. I, you know, keep short accounts with God. Keep yourself prayed up. You never know what time it is. You never know how close you are to the other side of the veil. And I prayed for the people in the other vehicle. I said, man, I prayed also. Thank, I was thankful my dog wasn't in the car. None of my family was in the car. None of my friends were in the car. I was there by myself. And then I prayed for the people in the other vehicle. Man, I knew somebody died. Little did I know it was a 17-year-old boy I knew well. The separation, they tell me, was I, I had six one-hundredths of a second to react. Six one-hundredths of a second. The veil was six one-hundredths of a second. Life or death. It was 92 miles per hour versus 51 miles per hour. They'd never had anybody survive that. The veil was so thin they couldn't see the difference. Natural man couldn't see the difference. And everyone commented when they looked at the vehicle. The the medical personnel that were there, the firemen, all those people said, man, there's no way anybody lived through that. I had close friends of mine that drove by and said, kids, pray for whoever was in that vehicle because the vehicle was so damaged. They didn't even know it was mine. But they said nobody lived through that. What I'm saying to you is the veil is 
so incredibly thin between life here on earth, our time here on earth, and our eternity. God didn't leave us twisting in the wind. He didn't leave us hopeless. He gave us this great hope. But what if he didn't? What if he didn't? I want you to think about the flip side of that. The destiny of an individual who trusts in Yeshua is everlasting life. Not only in the future, but right now. Man, how would you live if you knew? I've got heaven awaiting me. I've got ultimate and complete forgiveness. I've got, provided I repent and truly place my faith in Christ's hands. I've got eternity. I've got a life where I know when I cross that veil, no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more questions, no more struggles. Man, I am in the presence of not an almighty God, but the almighty God. What if? What if you truly grasped that? How different would the sorrows and the grief and the loss here on earth be? Right now, right here. Not just survival beyond the grave. Everybody has that in one form or another. Revelations 24, 5 and 12 through 15 talk about that. But positive life in Yeshua. True life in Christ. Man, how would we live differently? Trusting in Yeshua is not mere intellectual acknowledgement, but adherence to, commitment to, trust in, faith in, reliance upon Yeshua as fully human. Completely. He, he completely identified with us. And at the same time, He was fully divine. Completely identified with God. It talks about verse 17, the Jewish New Testament commentary talks about verse 17. I always like the context. I don't, you know, little things don't mean a lot. They mean everything. So I like the context. I want to know what's happening here. The world is subject to condemnation and in the end will have its sinfulness condemned. But Yeshua's first coming was not for that purpose. In the day of judgment, he will be the judge who condemns the world. But he was sent to give us hope. Not in spite of our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, but because of it. You see, this is the fix we're in. If the universe is not governed by an absolute goodness, then all our efforts in the long run are hopeless. But, but if it is, then we're making ourselves enemies to that goodness every day. And we're not in the least likely to do any better tomorrow. And so our case is hopeless again. We say, man, I'm going to do better tomorrow. I'm going to rely on me to do better tomorrow. And what happens? Just like the addict addicted to food or, or uh, drugs or alcohol or cigarettes, or, or pornography, or any of these things, any of these things that people get addicted to. We say, tomorrow I'm going to do better. I'm going to do, I'm going to do better. Tomorrow, and what happens? We betray ourselves over and over and over. Our case is so hopeless yet again. We can't do without it, and we can't, look, we can't do without our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and we cannot do with it. 
God is the only comfort, folks. He is also the supreme terror, the thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. Man, have you ever been far from God? You've, you, you, you're jacked up. You're living crazy. You're doing crazy things. And you say, man, I always ask the, this question of people who are really, really struggling. When's the last time you prayed? Not God send me bail money. I mean, when's the last time you prayed, you communicated with God? It's not an ATM. When's the last time you prayed? And people say, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. If you don't remember, it's been too long. That's the thing we hide from, right? It's the thing we most need. People don't like to think of God as a terror. But let me tell you. When you're within the wrath of the Almighty God, when you're in the crosshairs, trust me, he's an awesome sniper. He will find you, and he will correct you. You will be punished, as will I. Better not to hide. Why in the Garden of Eden did they suddenly realize we're naked? Suddenly they were embarrassed. Suddenly they... They wanted to hide from God. Guess what? You can't. They couldn't hide from God, and neither can we. Neither can we. He is our only possible ally. And you know what we've done through our sin, our hurts, habits, and hang-ups? We've made ourselves his enemies. Some people talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. Listen, they need to think again. If you think staring upon the holy and pure face of God would be something taken lightly or fun. Let me say this. You know, people, uh, they showed video of, of Donald Trump at a rally. And and uh, to, I'm going to talk more about that tomorrow at 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, The Collision of Faith and Politics, same channel. Go to the ninjapastor.com. You know, the list of our old shows, old shows, you know, whatever. Um, they're free. Most of them are commercial free. So give a listen. But tomorrow, 4 to 6, we'll be off the chain. So at one of these rallies Donald Trump has, you know, Donald Trump pays for the whole rally. He paid, he paid. It's all paid. It's, it's, they rent the whole place. There's a reason he does that. And I'm not a Trump supporter, although if he's our nominee, I will absolutely cast a vote for him. But I'm saying there's a reason he does that. He rents the whole place. Pays for everything because the First Amendment doesn't apply on private property. So when protesters stand up and go, I have a First Amendment right to protest. Uh, no, you don't. Unless your name is on the lease of this property or the rental agreement or the contract, you don't. Get out. And he has security people there for just that reason. Out you go. Out you go. Out you go. You may not like it, but that's what happens. That's absolutely what happens. But people get mad. They stand up and they do these protests and they yell all these vile things, whether it's him or Ted Cruz or whoever else. Come on, whoever, whoever the person is. And they get mad when they say, wait, I have a right to say this. You also have a right to be punished for it. You have a right for consequence to come as a, a, a look, if I looked my dad, my dad, God rest his soul. He's in heaven. My dad, big man, big man, somebody you don't jack with. Let me tell you right now, you do that one time in your life. Can you imagine if I looked at my dad in the face and said, stir fry again? I'm not trying to eat this again. We had this last month. Do you know how quickly my lips would leave my face? 
he would smack the face right off of me. He would. But you know what? He makes the food. He pays for the food. He pays for the house. He pays for the table. He paid for the fork that I eat it with. You think I'm going to stare at the at the face of my father, stand in his face and go, and be disrespectful? To be so haughty to, to even suppose that I'm in his position? I got to shake Ronald Reagan's hand twice. What a privilege. What an utter privilege to shake his hand twice. To stand there at full attention. I was ordered not to shake his hand. The uh, The inspector general said... If President Reagan stands in front of you and he sticks his hand out and you catch it in your peripheral, you are not to shake his hand. You are to maintain attention at all times. Thousand yards there. Newsflash. It was worth getting reamed out not once but twice to shake the man's hand. I shook President Reagan's hand. You can't take that from me. You can waterboard me. You can whatever you want to do. I'm always going to remember I shook President Reagan's hand not once but twice. Do you think I'm, he's going to stand, President Reagan would stand in front of me, a man I deeply admired and was willing to serve and give my life at his command? You think you think for a moment I would be smart-mouthed and disrespectful? This president, different deal. But Ronald Reagan, no way. And we, we, we supposed to recreate God in our image that we're going to have some sort of disrespectful dialogue. Somehow or another, our peon selves are going to look at him and go, well, you don't know. You don't know what you're doing. I'm just checking my watch. Just Oh, wait, I created time. That's right. I don't need a watch. Right, but we think we think somehow we recreate God in our own image. We think somehow or another we know something he doesn't know. I'm here to help you. This is free of charge at no cost or obligation to you. He knows everything. He is our only possible ally, and we have made ourselves his enemies. Some people talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think again. They are still only playing with religion. That's C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. Folks, you got to get that book. you got to get that book and read it with a highlighter and a pen. Here's the King James Version, by the way. Somebody, somebody sent it. Can you read it in the King James? King James Version is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's look for a moment at the word begotten. Many, many times, I'm going to hurry. Many times this is translated as unique, and many times the emphasis is placed on the fact that Christ was born on earth as a man, and that man was and that man was born the son of a virgin. That's what we usually talk about there in the whole unique or begotten. That's what we talk about, right? We always talk about, well, he's born of a virgin. He's born normal way. These are you guys just let me say that and no, it's not exactly the normal way. In fact, it's happened once. Just saying. Well, he was born the normal way. He right. Exactly. The Son of Man. That's the only way he could be called the Son of Man. These are important facts, but more importantly, beget is to become the father of, to create is to make. I'm going to say that again. Beget is to become the father of, to create is to make. When you beget, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. A man begets human babies. A cat begets kittens. 
puppies are the begetting of dogs. But when you make, you make something of a different kind from yourself. God begat us like himself, and he gave us his son as a means to truly become children of God for eternity. He made angels, folks. He didn't beget them. He made them. They were not given the opportunity to become sons of God. We, however, were. So you guys know by now, we're, we're, we're far ways into this message. You had to know on the heels of my message last week, I'd be curious to pose the question to you, the live audience and the radio audience out there. What if John 3.16 weren't true? What if it wasn't true? We are doomed. You see, this is familiar ground, right? John 3.16, I, I mentioned that at the beginning of my introduction. This is familiar ground, maybe too familiar to some of us. It's the most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3.16. Luther called it the little Bible. He referred to John 3.16 as the little Bible. It's the favorite verse of children. Right? Children love to recite this verse. And you know what? Most often believers, it's quoted to them as a, as a reassurance that you've placed your faith in the one true God. And when you close your eyes last here on earth, you will open your eyes to the face of Christ. Look, what's the setting of this verse? There's some things that we need to know. The verse was spoken to good to a good and religious man to explain salvation. It was being explained to him how this happens. Its use was to win a ruler of the Jews to Yeshua. But what if the great verse weren't true? What if it weren't true? What if God had not loved the world? It says, for God so loved the world. Without his love, there'd be no hope at all. Can you imagine a dark planet hurtling through space without hope? Nothing to live for, no purpose for existence. Every death would be the end of personal hope, and every grave a place of despair and dust and worms. A world where prayers were but speaking into the wind. Useless cries to the skies. But God does love the world. Everything speaks of his love. Every sunrise, every sunset, every blade of grass, every fountain of water, every waterfall, every birth, the face of every child. You, you guys know of Rory and Joey Feek, uh, the country, country, Christian country stars, uh, and she passed away. She just passed away from cervical cancer. Young, brand new baby, terrible, terrible thing. But one of the things her husband spoke about in the very last days, she had this sense of peace, just utter peace. They knew it was the last days. She was failing. Organs were starting to shut down. The obvious, obvious evidence of that was very clear. And yet in her periods of lucidity, she didn't have a face of anguish or fear. She had the face of fulfillment about to be made. She had the face of someone who said, Father, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. I turn away. I'm, I'm going to do my dead best to be what you've created me to be. And I'm going to trust you to help me and lead me and protect me along the way. And while I don't like your punishment, I don't like your discipline, I'll take it until my last. And I know that when I breathe my last, I will look upon you perfected painless, 
and without sorrow. Her husband said, wow, you could really see this on her face. You could see the peace fulfill and overwhelm. I look, folks, I can conjecture this all I want, but I'm going to because I want to. I've seen plenty of people who died as utter and complete examples of false belief. I've I've been at the bedside of dying people. I've been in the field when people are dying. When their belief, hesitant faith, I say it all the time, hesitant faith is no faith at all. When that person's faith is hesitant, at that moment where they're at the veil and it's being torn from life unto death, you see their doubt. You see their fear. You see their hesitation. And you realize hesitant faith is no faith at all. But I've also been so utterly privileged to be at the bedside or in the field with someone who knew Christ as their sweet friend that never lets them down. As the friend who sticketh closer than a brother. As the Holy One who counts your tears and keeps them in a bottle, as the one who says, come on, walk with me. Let's have a conversation about life. As the one through my darkest times is the light in the corner of the room that I cannot extinguish. The hope in the most perilous of times that I cling to and say, Oh, it's dark this night, but joy comes in the morning. Praise God that we we don't serve an extinguishable light. We don't we don't serve a God. We serve the God. Everything. Everything speaks of his love. The greatest demonstration of his love is the cross. What if God had not given his son? Says he gave his only begotten son, his only unique son. What if he didn't? God's love would be frustrated without the cross. Real love always demands giving, folks. I mentioned it earlier. To love and to give are synonymous. To love much means you're giving much. A man marries, then he works and provides for and cares for his family. My daughter, she and I got to spend some time together last night. She's up from uh, from her schooling. And she would never believe it, but I don't think I ever had to spank her. I don't think she ever. She was just a good kid. She just did. She's never a problem. I never had to spank her, I think, except for once I had to raise my voice at her. Well, you know that lip quiver that you get? I had to try to keep a stern face. Like, I'm really mad at you. And then I had to walk into the other room, and I did two things. I cried, because I hated hurting her little precious little feelings. And and then I looked at that cute face, and I said, I'm going to kiss that little big lip, you know? And then, you know, a little bit later, she would come in and say, Dad, set my apology? Set my apology? In other words, do you accept my apology? And of course I did. Of course I did. Man, you know, we care for our spouses. We care for and protect our spouses and our children. 
How about a woman? She marries and she gives of herself for her family. Man, look, there's moms in here that you give for your family. There's many times you only eat cold food because you're busy putting the plates out for everybody else. And by the time you get to it, you've got a cold plate of food. You know, modern society is not so much like that anymore, is it? It's, it's hey, fend for yourself, buddy. There's some there's some ramen noodles up on the up on the stove. Good luck. We're gonna eat like kings. It, you know, but a mom, a mom sacrifices so much for herself, so much of herself for her family. You know what? She does it because she loves her family. A man anticipates his death, so what's he do? He buys life insurance. Look, I'm telling you, if you're a young couple now and you're a husband, the first purchase had better not be a diamond ring. It had better be life insurance to protect your young family if something happens to you. You love your family. You better make that purchase. So he buys life insurance, and he, but you know what else he does? He takes care of himself. He eats the right things. He doesn't enter into endless gluttony and wonders why. He's 300 pounds overweight. Why, Lord? Why am I dying? Because you big and you overate. One piece of chicken is great. A hundred is not. One piece of cake won't kill you. Ten pieces every day with ice cream, although I love ice cream, it will. God has given his son. Apart from this, there'd be no salvation. Look, we know that. We know the gospel story. He gave his only begotten son. We have no hope outside of that. What if God's offer of salvation were not to the whosoevers or the everyones? What if it wasn't like it's written? That whosoever, the wonderful word that is general yet particular. It embraces all yet touches each one. It reaches out to you. Suppose God had offered salvation only to the rich. What if he only offered it to the poor? What if salvation was only offered from God to the healthy or the educated? What if only the good-looking? Have you ever thought about that? What if? I'm out. I'm out of luck. That's why I'm on the radio. Only a face, only a mother could love, face for radio. But God calls all people. He calls them all individually to trust him. What if God's offer was not, what if it wasn't based on faith alone? Believeth. He that believeth. Picture men working and trying and dying. Trying so hard. I'm, what are you doing? I'm working for salvation. I'm trying. I'm hoping I get enough done so I can be saved. What if it was based on education? I'm, I'm, what are you doing? I'm, I'm trying to learn everything I can because I've got to be educated. I've got to be wealthy. And then they fail and they're forlorn. They're of no hope. What if? Oh, but I want to direct your eyes to the cross. The three crosses that were on that hill on Golgotha, the place of the skulls, consider the dying thief. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. And in that moment of belief, he believeth. 
he was saved. And the other man on the other side, just feet separated him from salvation. And he didn't accept it. He rejected it yet again. See, here's the thing. This is the thing I want to encourage you with. I I entitled this message, What If John 3.16 Weren't True? What if it wasn't true? You remember that verse I read to you, the Sean 3.16? Let me find it here. It's, it's probably going to be a real popular thing. Here it is. Here's the Sean 3.16. Because God didn't love the world. He refused to give his only and unique son for you bunch of losers, me included, with your incessant hurts, habits, and hang-ups, me included. The only means of reversing the curse, you and me included, brought upon yourselves was withheld from you because you don't deserve salvation, me included. The created, the every single human being God created, had no one to trust, including me, to save them. And so everyone was born, including me, destined for utter destruction, because you deserved it, including me. But you know that's not how the verse goes. We know John 3.16 is true, every word, every part. For God so loved the world that he gave his only and unique son so that everyone who trusts in him may have eternal life instead of being utterly destroyed. Oh, I've got good news. I've got good news. Listen, I'm not any better looking than I was 10 minutes ago. That's not good news. I'm not any richer than I was 10 minutes ago. That's not good news. I'm not fancier. I'm not better dressed. Good lands. My clothes probably don't even match. Why don't they make garanimals for grown-ups? I don't know why that. I need that. I should invent that. But even that, wealth's not going to save me. Why? Because salvation is not based, based on wealth. It's based on belief. Remember what I said. Remember what the Scripture says. It's not based on that. It's not based on being perfect either, is it? It applies to me. Here's the thing. You can be saved by faith in Christ. You can be saved by faith in Christ. You don't have to live a life that is hopeless and dark, and waiting for your eyes to close that last time. I remember Mama Max, uh, just an amazing lady. Cancer took her from this earth. What a fine, fine human being she was. And I remember two weeks before she died, I was with her, and we got a chair because she wanted to go in her front yard. And it happened, the sun happened to be coming just right, and it was beaming on her, and she was looking, and she'd stare at everything. And I after a while, you know, about 30, 40 minutes of this, I said, Mama Max, what are you doing? And she said, I'm taking pictures. Because she knew she was bound for glory. And in just two weeks, she saw the face of the Christ that she so faithfully served. Her faith wasn't hesitant at all. She knew that I'm going to see different and more wonderful things than I could ever see here. But, oh, I'm going to see Jesus. For those of you here and those in the radio land, last week we had 56,000 people listen to this. And of that group, I have to believe, and I happen to know that one of them is one of the, one of the 
best known atheist, atheist. He takes exception to me saying atheist, but that's he doesn't realize that that is how it's pronounced. People that listen to this program don't yet believe. Here's the crazy thing. We know this to be true. At the appointed time, when Christ returns the next time, there will be no unbelief. Rest assured, there will be no one here on this planet that can reject the truth one more time, capital T, at the appointed time. For it is appointed to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. The difference is when we separate that veil, when we go from life to death, if we are not in Christ, if we have not placed our faith in him, our eternity is hell. The beauty of it is, all you need to do is believe. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.